You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? You know you do. And that is The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-notch podcast named Best of Apple in 2018, and has only gotten better. Jordan goes deep with fascinating people, from authors and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. During his discussions, Jordan pulls out tactical bits of wisdom for you to use to become a more informed, critical thinker. You'll learn and have a good time. He's very easy to listen to. My two recent favorites are Episode 972, Mustafa Suleiman, The Coming Wave of Artificial Intelligence, and Episode 843, Ellie Honig, How the Rich Get Away with Crime. You can't go wrong adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast. Episode 341, The Battle of the Tarigo Convoy. The results of the Battle of Cape Matapan had lifted the spirits of everyone, from Malta to London. The British fleet had, once again, proved itself the master of the Mediterranean, at least on the waters. In truth, the air mattered most, as it would determine who was the master below it, and the few fighter planes on Malta were not making much of a difference. In February and March of 41, those days saw multiple air raids each day, with a total of 212 for those two months, not to mention the lethal Messerschmitt 109s that were now in the mix. If something didn't change with the equation above, soon the equation on the ground and on the seas would be the same. Demonstrating this, the food situation on Malta was worsening, which called for rationing. There was nothing else for it. The newly created Food Distribution Office strove to make sure that no one hoarded and that those more inland had equal access. Rationing started on April 7th and soon spread to supplies like soap, matches, and kerosene. Choices had to be made by all, but the goal was to help everyone survive this phase of the war. Another way to survive the daily onslaughts was to have enough warriors defending. True, there were not enough planes, but general conscription helped with the ground troops. Men between the ages of 16 and 56 were eligible. Fortunately, at this phase, only the 20 and 21-year-olds were activated. Obviously, these were mostly the young Maltese themselves who filled the ranks of the Royal Malta Artillery stationed around the Grand Harbor's AA guns as well as the King's Own Malta Regiment. 
just in case the outer defenses could not hold. It didn't take long for the nurses, who less and less went into shelters during the air raids, to discern a pattern from the German attackers. They would leave Sicily, which was due north of Malta, and the German and Italian pilots would fly to the southeastern tip of Malta, and then turn to the northwest. This would allow them to quickly and efficiently bomb Halfar, then Luca, and finally Tequila, the three main airfields. From there, they could turn north, pass over St. Paul's Bay, almost in the northwest corner of Malta, and then fly north, back to Sicily. Air Commandant Maynard figured this out as well, not that he could do much about it. The one saving grace of the constant attacks was Malta's ability to take its injured and help them recuperate in relative safety. Just over a mile to the southwest of the Tequila airfield, itself in the center of the island, was Imtarfa's hospital. True, it had been bombed once in February, but now it was being left alone. The powers that be on the island determined that the Germans were focused on military targets. Other areas, it seemed, could wait. And yet, on April 13th, at least 28 bombs fell on or near Imtarfa's hospital, including its isolation wing. Somehow, amazingly, no one was killed, but much equipment and space was damaged. Thus, the hospital was now less effective in its ability to care for patients. So, for the Germans, a partial success. Now, mostly, it was the harbors and airfields and the areas around them that were targeted most. And as humans have always done, those people there adapted. First, they had been frightened and then exhausted by their extreme emotions and then stolid in the face of danger. Because that face of danger never left them for long. What came next was a desire to survive, even thrive, as it was the exact opposite of the enemy's goal. Defiance was the order of the day, every day. In fact, the rubble became routine. It was simply walked around or cleaned up when there was a chance. If anything, it was the deaths of known comrades that could still make the Maltese feel hopeless. An example of this came on April 8th, when the harbor vessel Moore was sunk. When making sure that the boom defenses just outside the Grand Harbor were up to snuff, the Moore hit a mine. Meanwhile, a Boy Scout was on land nearby looking out for enemy ships. Then he heard a mighty explosion around 5 p.m., and he turned his head to watch the last few seconds of the Moor's existence. Just after the earth-shattering explosion, the boy marveled for a second time. He did this, despite the horror he was watching, at the giant sucking sound as the Moor, like a toy in a tub, went down. Sinking that quickly, it's doubtful there would be any survivors. Indeed, only one man of the 29 All-Maltese crew was still alive, and he was rescued. The Boy Scout ran to tell the police and then returned to the site, which may not have been the wisest course. Soon, family members of the crewmen were coming upon the boy and peppering him with questions. Not that he was given a chance to answer before other sets of questions were launched at him. It was more than he could take, besides which he had little to tell, 
and then it got worse. A few days later, the bodies began to break the surface. The Boy Scout was on duty again and had another horror story to share with the authorities. This boy, in this moment, became a man by having his innocence ripped from him. Hey everyone, Ray here. I've been using Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. And like many of you, I think about my golden years, and I hope they're golden. I have a Roth IRA with Fidelity and another with Merrill, and I have consolidated them into one hub with Yahoo Finance. There, I have access to expert analysis to help me stay atop this ever-changing world. And with Yahoo Finance at my fingertips, I can focus on my goals of paying off my house and getting ready for, you know, me time. And since Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, they know what they're doing. It's the number one finance destination with their independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. So, for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. As it was not going well for the Maltese airfields, or harbor, or hospital, or the planes trying to defend all these, why should it be any different for the British subs based at Malta? The HMS Upholder had by now been out on five patrols, but only had scored one hit. Captain of the 10th Submarine Flotilla, Malta, George Walter Gillow Shrimp Wilson, was depressed over his crew's lack of victories. And not that he needed any reminding of this, but Captain Raw, the commander of the first submarine flotilla in Alexandria, wrote to Shrimp saying that his crew's results were extremely disappointing. Allowing for British understatement, it was the equivalent of an American bark. Simpson had worked with and respected Lieutenant Commander Malcolm D. Wanklin of the Upholder, but he had to consider replacing him. First Lieutenant Tubby Crawford, Wanklin's next-in-command, knew how this worked. His boss would get one warning. This was called a heart-to-heart -heart chat, and if he still couldn't turn it around, the Upholder would soon be under a new commanding officer. Crawford suspected that Wanklin was gating his heart-to-heart -heart at this very moment. As every commander of a theater will tell you, it feels like he, or she, is fighting two enemies at the same time. The enemy proper, who was trying to kill you, and the frenemy, that is, the government of the country that you are fighting for. But it seems that they harass you to the point that you want to give up. Along the lines of a rock and a hard place, if you will. For that was where Admiral Cunningham felt he was, and in part, it was his own fault. Or rather, he was the victim of his own successes. As he had been able to thrash the Italians at Taranto, and more recently at Cape Matapan, London, now thinking his force was on par with the Italian Navy, expected him to stop the reinforcements that were going from Italy to North Africa. And, if there was anything he could do about the current battle in Greece, maybe along the coasts, which he could not, that would be appreciated as well. 
No, Greece looked like it would be lost, as had most of the gains made by Operation Compass under General Richard O'Connor in North Africa. As for North Africa, due to his resupplies, Rommel was able to surround Tobruk on April 11th, but even then the Desert Fox did not stop, pushing the British and Allied troops back to Solemn on the Egyptian border. Once again, Alexandria was being threatened. For Admiral Cunningham, the solution was simple, if not easy. As it was impossible to stop Italian ships from leaving Sicily, and almost impossible from stopping them landing in Tunisia, his best chance was to stop them when they were near Malta, as the enemy ships had to sail past it to make their way south. In fact, Churchill had advised this very idea a year ago, which was one of the main reasons for defending Malta to the last. The problem with this idea, now as it was then, was a lack of air support. To go out and face a more numerous navy was one thing. To go out without air cover was something else. Malta could not really protect its own self, much less lend out planes to work with Cunningham's ships. Now, if pressed to, Cunningham could still send out his destroyers to go hunting. But with no air cover, they would have to go out at night and would have to rush back to Malta by morning, which would burn more fuel faster, and Malta's supplies on that score were already running low. Hence, Cunningham would send a strongly worded request for more fuel and planes, and in return, he would receive a stronger worded message to sink more Italian ships heading to North Africa. And, oh, there was no word of supplies. And as 10 Downing Street beats Admiral, Cunningham obeyed, and on April 15th sent out four destroyers under Captain Philip Mack of the HMS Jervis. A few days prior to this, an Axis convoy had departed Naples on its way to Tripoli. Within the convoy were four German troop ships and an ammunition ship. All these were escorted by three Italian destroyers, under the command of Pietro de Cristofaro. As the convoy made its way south, its radio messages, or messages about it, were picked up by the British. On April 15th, a Maryland reconnaissance plane was sent out from Malta. It located the ships and followed them for a while, gathering information. There was to have been two Italian medium bombers providing air cover, but again, because of the bad weather, they never lifted off. Yet the ships went on without them as their supplies and reinforcements was needed by Rama. And they almost made it. Not until darkness of April 15th did the British 14th Destroyer Flotilla, again with the Jervis as flagship, supported by the destroyers Janus, Nubian, and Mohawk, catch up to the enemy convoy. Though it was night, at least three of the British destroyers had radar, thus the Italians were unable to hide. Not that they knew the British ships were in the area. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology. 
making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boy's easy opening, smooth pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. Just off the east coast of Tunisia, right across from Safax, sits the Kirkenna Islands. And to the northeast and southeast of these islands are buoys to help the ships navigate safely around a sandbar. As the Italian ships slowed down, the British destroyers closed in on them. The British vessels, traveling mostly in a southwesterly direction directly from Malta, actually got a bit ahead of the enemy ships. But instead of standing in their path, Captain Philip Mack decided to circle around them at 12.44 a.m. counterclockwise, an attack from the rear. Slowly getting into position as to not give themselves away, at 1.58 a.m. the morning of April 16th, the four destroyers opened up from 2,000 yards or 1,800 meters away. But as they commenced firing, they continued to move forward. Soon they were only 50 yards or 46 meters away. The Italians were completely caught off guard and not sure what to do, and as it was night, there would be no air support or land-based guns to assist. Quickly, damage was inflicted on the convoy ships. Three of them would be sunk, and two more only survived by running themselves aground on the largest of the nearby islands, and even then, one of them was counted as a total loss. During the melee, Commander De Cristofaro, on board the Tarigo, lost a leg to an enemy shell. He would die from a loss of blood. Ensign Ettore Bisagno took command of the Tarigo, which was listing to port and sinking, yet he managed to launch two torpedoes at the Mohawk. As it was nearby, thus its reaction time was reduced, the British destroyer was hit by both torpedoes. Captain Mack ordered the Mohawk scuttled and the survivors rescued. The British lost 43 men. This battle marked the end of the Axis having an almost free hand in getting troops to Rommel. Cunningham might be on a shoestring budget, but London made it clear this was his new priority. Tripoli was to be blockaded. The Admiral was fine with this, but wanted several more destroyer flotillas to make it a reality. He received the equivalent of a governmental, we'll see. Postscript. The Italian Marine Command immediately sent out a rescue operation. Of the 3,000 or so men involved in this convoy, some 1,271 were brought back. As for the Mohawk, as she could only sink 12 meters or 39 feet due to the shallow waters, the Italians sent divers down to inspect her, but disguised as local fishermen, so they would not be shot at by the Allies flying by or sailing by. Certain documents were retrieved from the Mohawk, and later historians would claim that it was this information that allowed the Italians to launch their own successful attack at Alexandria in mid-December later that year. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer.
If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.